Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a podcast from the world. It's not like going to a football match that, that, that you just you kind of respond to it. You know what I mean? You don't think it's the world's greatest football match, but but it doesn't require huge effort, huge investment on your part. Whereas listening to a record that yeah. you don't want to. So oh, I don't dispute that at all. I just I was just self-conscious about you know the, <laughs> <laughs> the process. Because I've seen millions of people who listen to the podcast to think I'd love to do that. I'd love to review it. Good. I think part of it, though, is that that sort of idea of all the baggage of the previous albums of that person that you have to bring into your 150 words. So that sense that you can't write about the album itself. It has to be at least half the review on everything that they've ever done before and where it fits into everything else and stuff. And hard. But it doesn't. You see, I, 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 I've got. Oh, very sorry, f- on my left, Kate Mossman. Yeah. <laughs> on my right, Mark Ellen. I'm David Epworth. It's yeah. a word podcast. It's a word podcast. It's about a free and frank exchange of views. It's a heated debate already. Though. <laughs> it's, it's already because I don't nine. think I, I've got very strong opinions about reviews, and I apologise publicly for not writing very many of them uh, because uh, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I know the most time. But I think the problem is that people feel somebody set a template for reviews. Probably on the Melody Maker or the New Musical Express in the 1970s, which is still being utilised mm. to some extent, which is that you, you feel this obligation to review um, the entire back catalogue of this person to get to the point that they've, they're making now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet you've only got 150, somebody's got their hand up. David Hepworth. I'm going to put my hand up. See, I don't think they're doing that because they're following a template. I think they're doing that because the basic job of a, of a reviewer of music, which is to write about the music, is really, really, really hard. And consequently, they get out of it by writing about the artist yeah. and their career, I, I which everybody can do. They, they're not following a template. It's just, you know, you say you're not very good at reviewing music. Actually, and I hate saying this in front of you, you are very good at it. <laughs> but the reason you're very good you're at it... <laughs> do you know one of the reasons you're very good at it? I do try to review music. Is because say. you hardly ever do it. Um, oh, maybe that's therefore, yeah. you yeah. save yourself up, and also you're very good at making observations about music, as opposed to observations about career, 
which is what mm. most critics that, well, that was, do. That was, but you, but you can't, and it's also, very hard to do that all the time. If yeah. you don't do it that often as well, then you don't fall into using those, those phrases which come across as cliches when people are writing reviews absolutely all the time, all the kind of the meaningless things that people can say. But I read a, um, a review of mine that I did on the old, the previous Springsteen album um, for a different magazine about two years ago or something. And I didn't know that I had to talk about Springsteen's back catalogue, so I just didn't. And it was quite a long review, and it was fine, but it read like a bit of um, creative writing or something. It was really strange. But I, I bet that was interesting, and I bet it was full of illuminations, because I, mean, I actually know the story of Bruce Springsteen. I don't really need people to remind me yeah. of it. You know, and I don't blame, blame people for doing it, and I agree with David. In the, in the, in the, you know, the temptation is to write about the musician and not the music. Yeah. You know, people tend to review whatever, the haircut, the clothes, the attitudes, things this person said, you know. And, uh, and that makes it really hard, I think. Because also what they're trying to do is, is right what they see as the wrong done to the previous record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So by the time you write the, the review of the new record, record, you know what the common view of the previous one is. Because enough time has elapsed for you enough to be trying elapsed, to... Everybody's agreed. Everybody's either agreed that it's a good thing, yeah. in which case you might want to, you know, have a minority, you know, you might want the one that, that goes like, no, or you might want to broadly agree with it, you know, and that's and that's quite easy to do. So they they stick to the stuff that's um, that that everybody has kind of established a view on, and they desperately avoid committing themselves to, mm. um, you know, to an just in case of that of that sort of lag of time afterwards, and they may be shown to. to because I, I have to confess, I'm, you know, I'm a master hack. I can do this. And I can spot reviews where the reviewer has deliberately avoided actually saying anything at all. Mm. You know what I mean? Everything is very kind of non-committal. I can do it. I can do it in my sleep. You know what I mean? It's very, very easy to do. And I, I don't think... I think people ought to learn to spot that kind of yeah. thing. You know, when they're, when they're reading I'm something. I'm sure they can. I mean, I think another two major problems are one is that reviews are just frozen in a, in a moment, really, and they're the moment when you wrote that review. Yeah. You know, you might have only heard the record once and you might be under enormous amounts of pressure to be enthusiastic on it because somehow you've inherited the idea that if you weren't enthusiastic, you wouldn't get the, the interview you were desperately hoping mm. for in two months' time. But, you know, if you ask that person what they thought of that record a day later or a week later or a month later, so probably completely different. Yeah, and this is another thing that's really interesting about it, which I think it's always tempting for a reviewer to, to bring across in the writing, is just how difficult it is to get hold of these records when they're from the bigger acts. And it's something that isn't really talked about very much. But, you know, if you two bring out a record, then we get one hour listening to that record, basically. Which and is no reflection in how very controlled circumstances. No. no, but in very controlled circumstances. Yeah. Too, you're often listening to the record with, with, you know, the manager or the press or the, yeah, or, or the producer present. Playing you know. it incredibly loud. But play it on the most beautiful system you've ever heard in your Have life. Have I ever yeah. told you the story of, of being sent to CBS Studios? to listen to Bruce Springsteen's Human Touch and Lucky Town, which is made even worse by the fact that two, the records, two records came out the same day. Two records came out the same day. Yeah. And the only place you could go and listen to it was at the CBS studios in Whitfield Street in London, swinging West End. <coughs> because they, you know, it's high security. You know, you have to be kind of patted down to be sent in there. And they put me in there with a, with a dat of the, you know, remember dat? Yeah, yeah remember dat. <laughs> anyway, they had a dat of it sent over from the States by, you know, kind of armed guard or whatever. And they put me in the control room of this studio that is normally used for the recording of film soundtracks. It's one of the biggest studios in London. Mm. Huge, great room. Huge great control room. It was just you in the middle of it. Just me. They just put this Winking thing on. the dials <laughs> and graphic equalisers. They pressed the start, and then they said, we'll leave you to it. 
And so there Exciting. I am on my own. It, it, it literally is like mission control, you know, in front of me. And I'm thinking... You thought, I wonder what happened if I touched this button. <laughs> I'm thinking, this doesn't sound quite right. Did you just get to hear it once? Because I think that would be very atmospheric conditions to listen to an album. I can't remember. I can't remember. Anyway, I thought, this doesn't, doesn't sound right. And I looked in front of me. I went through and scanned all the winking, you know, <laughs> lights and dials and buttons. And plugged it in. <laughs> and I saw a button, a little button, that just said, stereo. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, have a go. <laughs> and so I just pressed it. Did you get a Suddenly, it was in stereo. Now, we've, got, <laughs> now we've got a party. They have. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think it tells you more about record companies than cash ever can, that. You That's know, brilliant. You know yeah. I mean? That they'd, you know, if the people who made that record had been aware that at the end, after they'd gone to all this massive <laughs> trouble, that the thing might be reviewed, reduced to mono, they would absolutely have been destroyed. Yeah. I thought you were going to say you hit some kind of uh, mid-woofer button, which broke the Bruce Springsteen <laughs> album. Yeah. Hey, I the there was a lovely moment in um, Jim Irvin reviewed the uh, Chinese Democracy record, and he had, I think, one one playback in a big room full of loads of other people, about forty people there. And uh, he just sort of put it really nicely in the room. He just said something like, um, "The forty minutes that I was allowed to spend with the record passed agreeably enough. Most of the time, with a what the fuck look on my face." <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of he's writing that as he's listening to it. And what the fuck? <laughs> so, now, Chinese democracy is a classic case about uh, uh, of the more fuss a record company makes, the less fuss will be proved yeah, to Yeah, because no one's worth. talked about it since, actually. Okay, because somebody actually corresponded on the Word website recently, wordmagazine.co.uk, said, I went into FOP... And there was there was Guns N' Roses, Chinese Democracy, five pounds. Oh God! You know, you're forced to respond. Never mind. You know, it'll soon go down to yeah. a you know sensible, yeah, yeah, yeah. A sensible sum on Tuesday. You know, but how how long ago is it? Is it since since that came out? Yeah, it's, it was November, I think. And Jim, okay, Jim so it's already just gone. There's been no no feedback. On I, I think there was a there was some controversy around around that album, whereby Jim was going to be flown to America, wasn't it? Well, there was but there was an idea of doing was, that. The yeah. idea was, he was it was so David was so top secret. This thing it was kept in a in a lead lined <laughs> coffin, uh, a coffin. Yeah, and Jim was actually going to be flown to America. It was so secret it couldn't be couldn't yeah. be moved to another continent for yeah. Jim to listen to it. Well, it's ridiculous because the only time they make this fuss is before the records come out. As soon as the record's out, they kind of no, moved yes. on to the next thing. They don't and think about it um, at all. Fraser very kindly reviewed the uh, ACDC album for us, and I believe that... Um, Thank you, Fraser. Uh, Thank the you. PR actually came to the office with it in a little box, didn't he, and basically sort of played it at you. Yeah. <laughs> across the ring. Well, yeah. Fraser took his notes and made his um, sharp observations. Which, made, which made it easy. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I would just I'd <laughs> refuse to that. do that. Kate, so how long have you, been, have you been reviews editor of Word magazine? For 14 months now. 14 months, Kate's 14 month review is on yes. the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and how's it working from both sides? <laughs> do you feel that you've integrated with the staff? Yes, making friends. This is my review meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. Jonathan Sellers annoying? The salary increase <laughs> dependent on a performance or something. No, just we were talking about reviews in, well, in the last couple of podcasts, and I just thought it was a good opportunity to, to revisit some of the, you know, the perennial beefs of people yeah. who have to organise, you know, review sections. What have been, have there been any major surprises to you in I, doing I it? I think that, like I was saying, the thing about the um, unavailability of the records is a surprise, and unfortunately it's not something you can 
tell, really sort of communicate to the readers because it doesn't make very interesting reading. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I think as well that idea of uh, the temporal kind of delay that you get on um, records. So it's always fascinating. Something comes out at the time and we do 150 words with the Fleet Foxes and then at the end of the year it's the biggest album ever and stuff. And I was actually looking to see what we wrote about the Fleet Foxes back in June. Wasn't big, was it? No, no, no. <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be drastically different from the from what we think now, but actually, it's it's pretty good gauge of the way it is. It says it's replete with great songs. Ragged wood makes you want to hop aboard a freight train, waving your cap at passing cattle. Stuff really Who nice. Wrote that? Graham Thompson. It's good work from Graham. Good work from Graham. This doesn't end with all in all a grower. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I think most of my Fraser and I are organising <laughs> a reaction against uh, Fleet Foxes, aren't we? Because yes, we, we, we don't think they're all that good. Oh, God. We think they're <laughs> simpering and fame. Uh, right. Go and see them, Dave. Go and see them. I've seen them on the telly. Oh, come on. Sad you saw them, anyway. I went to see them. Uh, Bring uh, back starry eyed and laughing. Nice concepts, though. Fabulous. Anyway, so again, right. So there's that. What other issues? Apart from that, there's. I remember when I started, there was a kind of don't use these words list, you know. Right. Uh, which are all the obvious ones that irritate people anyway, like saying your record is, you know, angular and edgy. Yes, yeah. sophomore effort. Sophomore effort and all that kind of thing. But also I think um, what I've noticed is Unrepentant that... Unrepentant do-wop harmonies. <laughs> <laughs> Why they should ever repent in the first place, they don't know. Yeah, that's on. brilliant. Actually, yeah. the other one we were always talking about is this phrase, muscular ballad. Muscular ballad, that's just a... <laughs> which is revolting, actually. It is revolting. It was, that was a phrase that was what some plugger once described... Uh, I was in Radio 1 years ago, and he was, he was plugging a, a new Iron Maiden record. He was going around telling people it was a muscular ballad. Because the only way to get onto Radio 1 by a bigger ballad, but it had to be a muscular ballad. It sounds pornographic, something. It, it just sounds bad. It just kind of sounds sphincteral, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> do, you find uh, it, yeah. do you find it difficult to persuade people to review things? Um, sometimes, yeah. I mean, I think the shorter reviews are difficult to persuade people to do because they, I think people feel cramped by that space. And you, you have to listen. I mean, if you've got any kind of integrity, you have to listen to a record a couple of times at least before <laughs> you're going to write 150 words on it. So if they're a busy person... Oh, it me out, it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, no, and I, I think the other thing that's um, always funny in the way things are written is the, the desire to kind of use too many words, more words than is necessary. And there's always phrases like... Um, you know, this other one I was saying the other day, uh, containing as it does tr oh, yes. trumpets and vocal duties yes. by... <laughs> <laughs> vocal duties! Vocal duties are passed around the three singers. It's just like, chores. Well, luckily, that doesn't. There are three bass, singers. Yeah. <laughs> they say chores. Oh, base, yeah, the base, base chores. Base when chores. I was on, on, on the enemy, there were so many versions of that. There was always there was the kind of the sticksman. It was the, it was the, it was the drummer. Was the, the powerhouse. The powerhouse. The, yeah. the steam engine. Uh, the loyal the locomotion was the bass player. The locomotion <laughs> on, lo on locomotive duties, comma. Whoever, yeah, it was Keith Moon, you know. And I suppose the other things, well, I remember talking to somebody a few weeks ago who wrote a book called A Thousand Records to Change Your Life or something, and you mentioned that um, sometimes... Oh, it's a good book, though. No, but you call it ridiculous. Anyway, go on, carry on. But um, I think maybe it was called To Hear Before You Die or something like that. It was one of those phrases. <laughs> yeah, anyway, and uh, he was saying that um, he was kind of collating all the criticism of these big records um, going back to for instance, the Beastie Boys in the late 80s and stuff, said that the thing was that um, the reviewers at the time didn't know what they were dealing with. So the reviews were kind of very strange to read of the Beastie Boys at that period because people didn't understand why it was so important, but they knew that it was and stuff. Um, but did you have the... Did you bring the Sgt. Pepper? Pepper? Oh, well, if, if there's no better example. I did because we published this in Q magazine about 
25 years ago. You read these, didn't you? I've read them. They're yeah. really good. This is the review melody in maker, Melody Maker of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Man, the week it comes out. And I'll give you a little example of the things they said. There's a song called With a Little Help from My Friends. You know, this guy's, you know, again, would have heard it once. Yeah. It? Bashing out his review. And he says, um, it's a sort of question and answer song. Sorry, it should be a slightly chubby Warner voice. <laughs> question and answer song with John and Paul asking questions like, do you need anyone? And Ringo answering, I need someone to love. That's a chap with a notebook. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and a repetitive line, gonna try with a little help from my friends. It's a very pleasant beat and melody tune. <laughs> beat and melody. Yeah. Bring back those songs. That's a good oh, one. It's great. I like that one. The last song on the record is called A Day in the Life, he says. He says, which starts with a light-voiced John saying he's read the news about a man who blew his <laughs> mind out in a car. Then he tells of seeing a film about the English army, which has won the war. This leads to the loudest thunderings of war noises, which build up and up and suddenly stop for John, uh, actually Paul, sorry, I think you're funny, Paul, <laughs> to go on singing about catching a bus and having a smoke and going off in a dream. It goes on like that. Yeah. My favourite one, actually, is Lovely Rita. It says, more Paul, with John and George coming in with Rita, occasionally, in quotes. Right? <laughs> a piano is much in evidence here, and I smiled at the rhyming of Rita and parking meter. It's a saucy song with a jog beat, which will get your toes a-moving. Now that... It doesn't say a-moving. Yeah, yeah, a saucy song with a jog beat. Now, I think we should have... To, let's bring that back. Why can't I the love, Foxes be a saucy song with, I love a, this with a jog beat? Yeah, yeah. Your toes would be very likely to be... <laughs> and very unlikely to be a-moving in any situation, but the Fleet Foxes might do it for you. It's interesting that, because those, those are a little bit like sleeve notes. Yeah. They used to have all, all, all those records at the time, didn't they? Because he used to say lead vocal, John. So every single time that was absolutely crucial information. But I love to the you. fact that there's so much kind of narrative in it. It's just saying, yeah. and then this happens, and then this yeah. happens. And maybe that's because he had a playback similar to what you have now. Probably, which is yeah, he might not have done, but also he would have been a newspaper reporter. Well, he's, mm. he's maybe, yeah, that's so, so he's writing sure. down the incidents. Yeah. That's true. Yes, getting better. He tells happily of, of how it's better now, and the girl of his is not he's not cruel to her anymore. So he's, this guy's it's like Janet and John, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but I think the real issue is that, I mean, apart from the fact that obviously this record is eight years ahead of what the music press is capable mm. of producing, this, so we can't understand it, is that their job, actually, is to talk about well, the, the danceability of songs. Yeah. So your real uh, purpose at Recreational Valley buying a record at that time was, could you dance to the track? Yeah. And if you can't, it's either, it might be a muscular ballad, in which case, fine, you know, you save it for later. <laughs> but will it get your toes moving? <laughs> will it get your toes moving, exactly. So that, that was what he was doing. He was, he was basically assessing this record to see whether or not you could dance to yeah, it. That's yeah. his only job, you know. It's interesting, this ties in with, um, with uh, we were talking about ELO on last week's podcast, and Joe Lean's been in touch. Uh, talking about, I don't know, Joe Lean is, is male or female? But, uh, you'll have to forgive Jing me. Jing Jang Jong. <laughs> uh, about writing in their, uh, in their junior class in 1980, they had to write about their favourite pop group. And uh, Frank Kerry wrote about EL ELO. She got to read hers out, and I've never forgotten the first two lines. My favourite band is ELO, which is short for Electric Light Orchestra. I like them because they're not too noisy... And not too quiet. That's good. <laughs> That's good. That's a really good That's review. a perfectly fair That's point. That kind of still bad. holds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it works. I think <laughs> Kerry, you know, should get an award for that. Yeah. Very anyway, good. I've got some. I found some this weekend. Yours was from the 60s. Yeah, yeah. These are, I've got some reviews here of records that are still widely regarded as classics from the 1970s. Are we going to guess what they are? Oh, <laughs> okay. You can have a go. You know, these are records that you'll get copious retrospectives about. You know, people would have no trouble writing 5,000 words about these records, you know, 30 years later. Um, 
And, and I'm going to, this is this is 1972 review from Rolling Stone. Fine, getting near the end. When you've been given the best, it becomes hard to accept anything less. And if there are a few moments that can be faltered on this album, it must also be said that the magic high spots don't come as rapidly. Hopefully, this record will give them the solid footing they need to open up, and with a little horizon expanding, perhaps honed by two months on the road, they might even deliver it to us the next time around. <laughs> Is it Astral Week? No, no it's 1972. <laughs> they... It's the Rolling Stones' Exile. Oh, no. <laughs> that is see me could do better. <laughs> that, that's seven out of well, ten. Well, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I can remember Just that record off. coming out and, and didn't get very good reviews, and that's a classic example yeah. of it. And uh, it said, uh, but here the, the, the vain hope is they might even deliver it to us the next mm. time around. Because the one thing everybody knows about Exile of Main Street is they never did it again, yeah. did they? After that, that was it. Is this a New York, I mean, an American review? That's from Rolling Stones. Lenny yeah. Kay and Rolling Stone. Because it's just really interesting that there's only five years difference between that Sergeant Pepper one. I mean, yeah. it's a different oh, country. Huge. But the, it's all, that's all opinion and all saying nothing. And that one is all kind of, this is what's happening in yes. this yes. song. Yes. Yes. Well, that's a newspaper. No this is sort yeah. of an alternative yeah. magazine. I've got another one here from 1970. Okay. Devotees of this artist will probably spend the next few weeks trying desperately to convince themselves that name of album is good music. <laughs> They'll be kidding themselves. For despite the fact that the album contains some potentially first-rate materials, none of the songs here rise above the uniformly dull surface. It says it was simply not ready to be recorded at the time of the sessions, it needed time to mature, the band never get behind the songs, and the artist has trouble singing many of them. Set before the buying public before it was done, this pie is only half-baked. Half-baked? <laughs> That's brilliant. What year was this? 1970. Oh my God! Is it, is it the book? Oh, would it be the band or somebody? No, it's, it's, yeah, not far off. It's Neil Young's "After the Gold," <laughs> <laughs> which, by common consent, is the best Neil Young record. Absolutely, wow. no doubt about that. At it's, all. It's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Langdon Winner. Yeah, and those trousers need mending as well. Smart, you're out and about. <laughs> and finally, from, from, uh, from uh, yeah, 1975, they forged an original style. And they have grown within it. They have rooted their music in hardcore rock and roll, and yet have gone beyond it. They may not be the greatest rock band of the 70s, but after seven years, five albums, and now this, they must be counted among them. Was it the Floyd? Is someone has been going for eight years in 75? Is it the Led Zeppelin's physical graphics? <laughs> <laughs> Jim Miller in 1975. So it's kind of a Is that Rolling right. Stone as uh, well? Yeah, they may, obviously, they may not be the greatest rock and roll band of the 70s. Well, you know, you, you couldn't help but think, who was really thinking is. about yeah, it yeah. was better? That exactly. That is absolutely fantastic. So, you know. So also, it has the tremendous pomposity. You can see this thing chronologically now. You can see yeah. the, the tremendous pomposity that's coming, which again wasn't there in the. At which, at which point did it, this change? I mean, I in the know, British the, press. Yeah, the, Brit oh, the British press particularly. There's that idea of a sort of, um, you know, goatee stroking, yeah. you know, goose quill chewing sort of boffin, some ivory tar. Sort of, and this, he's still he's still here, various people oh, on, on, yeah. on Radio Four. He's I'm still not there. That Bobbin is there. Sort of declaring from some lofty mount that uh, it's See, all over. I for think it's one of the reasons why I have run away and hid in the last couple of weeks when you two put a record out because I sort of don't want. I'm not in a desperate hurry to hear it. You know, I'll hear it at some point. But also, what you don't want to hear, Dave, presumably, is a load of people quacking on. <laughs> I, I 
I'm telling you, you, know, you, you go to places. I mean, you know, I, I avoid Bono. the company of the <laughs> company, except Bono I, I avoid the company of rock critics, that, you know, rigorously. But you know, they, and if you go to gatherings of these kind of people, or film critics are even worse because yeah. you know, they all go and see the same things. And the only thing that film critics ever talk about, ever, 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 is. What do you think of Sansa? Have you seen Sansa? Yeah. They're just... Uh, no, cheap, but, but they cheap, may cheap. say that, though. So well, that's because they're trying to cover up what yeah, they think of it, Yeah, we were just doing a Kate just went to a, to a film uh, preview on, on Friday. And no, no one spoke and no one made eye contact at all. Yeah, you see, that's the other <laughs> thing, is that people tend to ask you what they think, but they never give away what they think. Uh, and at the end of a film, no film critic will be the first one to, 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 to break the seal yeah. and go, Gio, that was absolutely fucking genius. And actually, it's much, <laughs> it's much harder to disguise what you think with a film than with an album, because it needs to kind of sink in a little bit. And, yeah, yeah, It's yeah, all broken up so Whereas a film is instant impression, you know exactly. Yeah, you know if it was shite. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But then, no, I, I hate those conversations with the rock critics. You know, have you heard the new Sansa? What do you think? Yeah. But then, so they, they want to come out with some. Everyone's asking, line. what do you think? So it's got unrepentant do wop on. No, my one is. Um, Just yeah. one clear shot. Such sun, sun dappled West Coast guitars. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. another one. Uh, it's such a shame because when sun dappled was first used, it's probably quite good. I mean, it's quite descriptive, but now it's just. Hideous to ever read in a magazine, so I just it's have to take it out. Oh, I know, it comes I know. That's usually applied to the twelve-string Rickenbacker, actually. Is it? That tends to be and down. usually, it's, yeah. yeah, it's all these kind of um, San Francisco bands that you know that grew up listening to their parents' music. Oh, that's a surprise. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, it's, it's, it's it's Mark and I, that is a surprise. You see, Mark, not just like us. It still is. Not a anymore, though. Well, not yeah. anymore. If that had any effect on me, I'd be editing Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. This week. <laughs> this just in this morning. This just in this morning. Uh, from Paul Newton. I'm a subscriber to your up-to-now wonderful magazine. Oh, great. One of these many non-Pet Shop Boys fans who have clogged up my email. I see one of those ones to go, I'm thinking of renewing my subscription. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and people always write to me, so, they, would, they would say, they say, I'm thinking yeah, of renewing hovering, my subscription. Yeah, they're hovering. As, if, as if somehow if I don't get back and apologise for whatever appalling thing I've done, you know, the, 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 I think the, people, that, that subscription will be gone. I think people do that when they just want to be talked nicely to. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're having a difficult day. And they want you to send them an email and go, you know, oh, come on. Oh, come on. Anyway, in that spirit, Paul Newton, this is your go on, you know, uh, podcast um, inclusion. I'm increasingly concerned about the criticism you level at the BBC. It begs the question whether Mr. Murdoch has got his filthy paws into Word Magazine's food chain. Which department do you see? Not everyone can afford £700 per year Sky subscription. £140 licence fee is worth it for the excellent radio, blah, blah, blah. BBC is far from perfect, but it's the closest thing to truth we're going to get in this country. I'm beginning to smell something fishy about your publication. I sincerely hope I'm wrong. <laughs> now, without taking umbrage from... You go first. Well, it's hard to know what to say, isn't it? <laughs> you know... I, I don't think anybody ever states any criticism of the BBC in the magazine or on the podcast without first saying, we love the BBC. Yes? I don't think anybody's ever said anything nice about Sky on, on the podcast or, or in the there's magazine. There's a piece. I felt but like, it, you reserve the right to criticise Let me interject. There's a piece in the current issue, which comes out in three days, I think, by Paul Denoy. I think that's what he's talking about. Uh, you, oh, is it? Sorry, I wasn't concentrating. <laughs> <laughs> was it? Oh, really? That's I'm really, not sure. Well, I think, I think you want a podcast. Well, that piece, anyway, uh, yeah, makes absolutely clear. In fact, it's the fact that he adores the BBC so much that it's led to his disappointment and mm. uh, general feeling of despair. Prophetic, actually, I thought, written before so, the... Yeah, before the, the coverage. So we're not in Mr Murdoch's pocket. We are not. But if no. you wanted to make us a good offer, 
to what be else in this would pocket? be in Mr. Murdoch's pocket? <laughs> some conkers, some piece fluff. of toffee, <laughs> uh, some loose change, 20 Rothmans. Yeah. And a so, sticky rag. Yeah. So, Paul, please you know, renew your subscription. <laughs> and anybody else who's thinking about doing that, do, do, the, do the same thing. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Now, Mark... In the new issue, oh, and yeah. this week, oh yeah, hurry, 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 which, hurry. which subscribers, you know, will have got already if they're, yeah. if they're wise enough to subscribe, they'll have received it this weekend. You've written about your, frankly, your obsession with Bob Dylan. I have, yes, I, I have, I, I <clears throat> yeah, I, want, I hope you'll get. Some, to be honest, that was a new form of review. It was an experiment because mm. right? I read a book and I, I didn't want to write a, a, a review of this book by a guy called Clinton Haley who's written mm. a series of, of very very good uh, books about Bob Dylan. Very deep end mm. publications by the way. I mean I think you've got to be absolutely obsessed with Dylan to find them at all interesting. But I thought I'd write it. It was really a review. It's the history of the song f- uh, all the yes. behind the songs isn't it? Yeah it's the kind of it's his version of Gunny McDonald's um, you know, Revolution in the Head anyway. He goes through loads of but in this case <laughs> In this case, a lot of these are songs that have never been released. Yeah. So it is pretty obscure stuff. He's reviewing in great detail songs that you and I, Dave, probably even Dylan, have never heard. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow Halen has got hold of which is great. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I, I, it, it becomes very emotional, this article, um, because by the end it, it just fantasises uh, the author and probably some of the people reading it into this sort of yeah. terrible future where we're sort of saddled with these obsessions. And it really interests me because... I've got lots of them, actually. I mean, Dylan is not my only obsession. When I say, I, you know, I, I, if I see something about Dylan, I have to read it. And I have to memorise it. I feel the same way about the Beatles. I feel the same way, actually, about Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart. Mm. Obviously, I feel the same way about the incredible string band. I don't <laughs> explain that to anybody, because we all feel the same. I have by my bed, Dave. By my bed, right? It helps me get to sleep at night. I have a book by a member of the string band who was only in the string band for one album called Clive Palmer, the banjo player. And he wrote a book about that He wrote a book about a whole, but let's imagine, a massive great tome just about his very brief period in the string band, I think in 66 for about nine months, right? It's a massive book. And I've got it by the bed just because I might need it, Dave. I might might just be lying in bed, not able to get to sleep and suddenly think, God, I wonder what they were doing in... Maybe October, maybe maybe November '66. Mm. Were they playing in Glasgow in the old folk? Was Hamish in black, or you know what I mean? Or you know who was there? Was it? Was it? Um, you give me a <laughs> <laughs> you give me the Jim Irvin. What the fuck? Look, it's <laughs> <laughs> the third time you've sworn. Yeah, no, sorry. It's a, it's it's a sweary day. It's a sweary. Anyway, go on. The effects of Kate here. Kate and I swear appallingly <laughs> all the time. I'm sorry. Kate about. swears like a navvy. <laughs> 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 does. No more swearies ever. But um, you know, my point, I think. In, in, in the article was that I, you, I've kind of stuck with this and I, I want to know what will break this relationship in fact you're an interesting example because you had this um, this relationship I think with Bruce Springsteen to some extent and I wonder if it was no he's shaking his oh, head shaking <laughs> yeah. well then who have you had it with I don't think I've had it with anybody anymore actually oh right but you did I'm have cured. it who did, right, cured. How, who did you have it with and who were you, how did you get cured I don't know I, I, oh, I don't know people like the Beatles it's an endlessly, you know, like like they said, somebody once said, it's the greatest story ever told. You know what I mean? And so you want to revisit that story again and again. It's got it's got the qualities of myth about mm. it. Yeah. And I think there was probably a long time when I did kind of want to revisit that again and again. Yeah. I don't anymore. I now feel that everything there is to be known is known. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I can only assume that if you're going back to do these things, you're sort of wanting to... 
I don't know, you're reading it like somebody might go back and read P.G. Woodhouse that they read five times already. Or, yeah, or some just kind William of or whatever. Comfort it's, or it's something. It's comfort, yeah. totally that. I, I, again, I, by the bed, I have Ian McDonald's Revolution in the Head, and I look at that as short stories. So I'm reading a, a difficult piece of modern fiction, and I think, oh, I'm a bit tired now. Why don't I just read about Helter Skelt? What are you, what's, your, really short, what's your difficult bit of modern fiction? Oh, well, you know, I was going to say, do you remember a point when... Well, um, I want to know. Well, I occasionally do read modern fiction. I'm not taking the mickey. Things. I want to know what it is. Oh, really? What is it? Well, uh, it's, uh, the thing I'm trying to read is something called English Passengers. But it's, oh, it's, it's a not, great book. Yeah, I know. Matthew uh, Neal. Yeah, I should, I should. It's not that difficult. It's but when you're a bit tired, you can read my own skills. Just interested. Go on. I was going to say, do you remember a point um, at which the Dylan obsession was stronger than it is now? Because um, this could be a sign that you are you are getting over it. Gina, that's very sweet of you. It's comforting to hear. Kate Mossman's rock side. <laughs> no, no, I had a similar story. Yes, Kate, Kate Mossman's rock, 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 rock clinic. <laughs> yeah, where you cures you. Of I'm only thinking. Pathetic devotion. I'm only though. thinking of this because in um, my Glen Campbell thing came to a head at the end of 2006. Because this is your obsession with Glen Campbell. Yeah, isn't it? the most recent sort of obsession. But it's and it's now just a constant. It's going to be there my whole life. But it's not an obsession anymore. Because what I did. It's over Christmas, um, 2006. I just sat and watched Ben Campbell DVDs for two weeks, basically. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing that else. Until 4.30 in the morning or 5 in the morning. I went back to work um, in my previous job. No, no, I'm sorry, I'm going <coughs> to... It's sort of DVD. Well, I just discovered that there are lots of DVDs with Glenn Campbell. Then, it's then performing. It's sort of this um, early BBC show that he did oh, in 1975. Okay. It's amazing. He's wearing all these kind of, you know, floral pointy-collared right. shirts and stuff like Describe that. Describe to the listeners what it is about Glenn Campbell that you find so deeply fascinating. It's nothing to do with his personality, actually. It's to do with something about the way he's able to um, interpret other people's stuff. And just he's a bit of a robot, and I quite like that, which is why I was going to say um, he's got an autobiography, and I, I won't go near it. I don't want to read his autobiography. Well, so you've spoiler? invented? I've invented well. You've invented a, a You're terrified he might actually be a bore. I think he's a bit. He's, I think he's a bit more than a bore. I think he's a bit reactionary, a bit kind of. I think he sort of shoehorns his uh, right wing beliefs yeah. into his own biography. As a moonshine. Goes off on, you know. Votes for Bush. Yeah. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. So I don't really want to see that side of, of Glenn, because there's no point. The other side, the so dark side of Glenn. To, you can be. This is really interesting. You can be obsessed with Glenn Campbell yeah. without seeking to know anything. And without about having him. any interest in him, I know that he's got. I know that how many times he's been married and what his children are called, which is kind of maybe obsessive. What, but, are, what are his kids called? Um, oh, they've got amazing names like Travis and. Uh, uh, all these kind of strange deep south shortened things. I can't remember them. Okay, actually. All right. right. Um, we'll look them up later. Flatbed truck. There's <laughs> one called Flatbed. Rusty one called Flintlock. Rusty and, and corn Cornbone. Corn Cornbone. <laughs> corn dog. Glenn Campbell is your current, your yeah. current obsession. You were, you were obsessed with Queen. I was when I was a teenager, yeah. But now I don't have any Queen records at all. Which is weird, but I mean, it did last eight years. And all the Queen records. So when is are, this? When are we talking about? From the age of eleven. So when? I mean, when was that? When they were already over. <laughs> so they'd broken up. They'd gone he away. Was, he died. Freddie turned He died. Yeah. yeah. And then suddenly, and you, then suddenly, when you should have been listening to whatever the Chemical Brothers. Yeah. Suddenly, suddenly I was decided walking up this moribund. <laughs> 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 that's judgment. No, but suddenly they've gone away. They've gone away. 
but, but you're, you're, you're on thin ice. You're walking on a girl's dream. You're <laughs> <laughs> talking about tread softly. Tread softly before you tread on her dreams. <laughs> so, but it, like you're saying now about that, um, the idea of having the, the books next to your bed. If I if I hear a Queen song in a, a cafe or something. I'm so tuned into it that I don't know what it is, first of all. I think it's like hearing a voice that you know very well or something like that. But I have to think, oh, shit, what is this? Is this a kind of magic or is it Radio Gaga or something? It's very strange. But you don't actually own any of the records no. anymore? No, Because there's no point, because I know them back it's to all, front. The, they're all in your head? Yeah. I wouldn't, ah. wouldn't want to listen to them again, because it would be a waste of time when I could be doing something else, because they're all sort of stored... Yeah, yeah, very strange. I think I do think it's about it's about it is about comfort. Yeah, I think it's about a, a story that the longer that story gets, the more comforting it is. Strangely, yeah, you know the story, but the more you can extend it by by finding out more information, the more fabulous it is. And this is true of everybody in the word office. I asked, although actually I've just reread this article that we're, we're talking about, which is out in, in, in three or four days. Notice that John Sellers, the art director, has sabotaged the text. It's actually incredible. Sorry, Dave. But he no, I see. Let me just say, tell me about it's it. It's absolutely incredible. I think, I think Jonathan Sellers should be hauled over the car. He does this, he does in this every month. Absolutely incredible. Well, he I think he should be called he, into account for himself. He's got an obsession with sparks. But when I read the article uh, last night, um, flicking idly through the magazine, I noticed he's now got an obsession with something called Barry Gray. So, naturally curious, I went upstairs to see Barry Gray, I assumed, was. Um, an arranger and an orchestra leader, I should, I should imagine, for the great 1960s yeah. symphonic hits. No, he's not. He's the man who composed Torchy, Torchy, the Battery Boy, brackets, he's a walkie-talkie toy. Goes back. <laughs> Dave, I'm going to kill John Sellers when no, I get him. Just... I'm going to see him in about two minutes' time. He's a dead man. John Sellers has, with no exaggeration, the strangest musical, inverted commas, taste yeah. I've ever come across. And the strangest in collection anybody. of photographs on his computer of sort of ventriloquist dummies and strange things like that. Very, so. uh, yeah, I know. He likes... Well, his favourite kind of music is great music that is universally, um, you know, approved of and adored, played on the style of... Yeah, butchered by, <laughs> butchered by, by, by somebody, by, ironically. By, yes, by a ventriloquist <laughs> dummy. <laughs> Good things are twisted. <laughs> Good things made worthless. That's, that's, that's what he likes. Absolutely awful. I think we should get him on a podcast in future. Do I think we should. Brilliant. Go, you know, we have to go, even the taste test or something like that. You know? Yeah, because he good. also his other thing that he does, which is brilliant, is if a bit of um, Dylan comes on, he'll go, "Oh, Donovan." Yeah. Uh, well, I, well, I might do that. John Mellencamp. Oh, Springsteen sounding good to Yeah, every time there's any reggae at all, he says, I love a bit of UB40. <laughs> and he knows it's, it's Gregory Isaacs or Prince Farai. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't UB40. appreciate it if you do the same thing about his obsession with David Bowie. Does no, no. He doesn't no, like that at all. No, if you said, that, oh, this is Jabriaf. If I went and gave Barry Gray a big kicking, which I'm about to, I might tell yeah, you. Yeah. Immensely defensive. Probably break down and cry. So in the new issue of the magazine, which is out this week, which has got Pet Shop Boys on the cover. Kate, you went to the States to see the December. Yeah, I did, yeah. Where I did saw them all individually, actually. I didn't see them together. That's a lot of um, it was Portland, so it was about uh, uh, 24 hours door to door. It's crazily long time. I had to go by Houston, stuff like that. It was really so, how good. was Portland? Rainy? Portland was, is bigged up by Americans as being very, very trendy, but um, I thought it was quite quiet and lots and lots of coffee shops and people with very slick looking laptops um, drinking coffee. But it was nice, good atmosphere. Right. So. And then just outside of Portland, you've got this, this crazy kind of gorges and mountains and waterfalls and stuff. So it was really nice. I went and saw Colin Malloy up in the hills where he lives. Doesn't it, isn't it full of... Doesn't your article, in fact, start with a story of the, the terrible 
kind of yeah. weird happenings that go on. It's, it's hard for us living in, in England, to, certainly to imagine yeah. such vast open spaces. But it's, just full, it's full of horrible sort of true urban legends, if that makes sense, about... Um, about people who've gone up mountains and Is ended up... Is it too old to tell that story? Shall I tell it? Yeah. Tell it, it's gripping. Go on. It's, it's a true story. 2005, um, a family from San Francisco were, uh, with their two young children were driving up the um, Klamath Mountains, and it was snowing, it was November. They took a wrong, wrong turn up a logging road, and they got stuck in the snow, and they didn't have any mobile phone reception, so they couldn't call for help. And they'd probably just patiently sort of sat there for a day or so waiting to be found. You imagine you were seen in Fargo at the time. Yeah, the snow's coming down and they um, eventually uh, they realised they weren't going to be found and they kept the car engine running to keep themselves warm for the whole time. Mm. Then they ran out of gas, obviously. Mm. So then they tore the tyres off the car and burned them to try and get some heat. And then eventually the younger child, I mean, the, the elder child was so hungry that the mother started breastfeeding it as well as the baby to keep it from fainting. So it's hungry. And then eventually the father did the thing you're never supposed to do and, and set out um, to go and find help by himself. And he froze to death. He was never found. Never found. <laughs> but he never came back. And this is true. And this is amazing. I just told somebody, uh, somebody in the hotel told me this story. And I just thought, you know, all these kind of weird things that are happening around there just because it's so remote and bleak and things. But I think you get some idea of why Colin Malloy, the, the lead yeah. the composer of the, of, of, the, of the Decemberist, why it's so easy to write these extraordinarily kind of cruel yeah. murder ballads yeah. and a kind of fictitious past. And there is that kind when of... You're surrounded, when you're in a world like that. And The Shining was filmed very nearby as well. Uh, so it's that yeah, kind yeah. of fact and fiction thing as well. It sort of, it, it does lend itself to that sort of imaginative world. But it's true as well, which is weird. I watched The Shining again recently. I've seen it recently too. Yeah, God. It's the first hour of The Shining. It's genuinely terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Because just the notion of a huge empty hotel. Yeah. Is, is that hotel is called Timberline, and it was built during the Depression as a kind of welfare-to-work scheme. So that's why it's so big, because they got so many people on it in 1933, I think. Oh, really? Um, and just said, you're going to build keep this amazing bu- Keep thing. building wings. Keep building. Keep building. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's empty. There's a quote about The Shining from Colin Malloy in your piece. Is The Shining something about Yeah, he's, he, I think he, the reason he's got such an obsession with horror is he basically was allowed to watch that when he was too young. Um, and that was it. There was nothing else that sort of went wrong in his life, as it were. Um, and he said that for him, you know, Shining and the Dumb and Dumbo are exactly the same film because something beautiful. Like um, he said, because uh, basically they're both about a young boy watching his mother go to pieces. It's really, really <laughs> good analogy. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very, very true. Yeah. So Dumbo's just as upsetting as The Shining. Yeah, for him, just as upsetting. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and on that spooky note. And on that note. Dave, you're badly shaken. <laughs> you've got a very shaken. You look like a nine-pint blood dog. <laughs> <laughs> have we got anything else we've got to say? What we've learned? We can do what we've learned. Oh, yeah, what have you learned this week? I, I, I learned something interesting, I thought, which is a new form of crime, rock and roll crime, which I didn't know about, is that people are targeting particularly valuable instruments that are known to be played by musicians and stealing them for ransom. What kind of instruments? Peter Buck has a very, very extensive, very valuable collection of really fabulous guitars. One of them is a 25-year-old 12-string, which he mm. plays with most of the songs R.E.M. have touring the world at the moment. And somebody targeted this guitar and stole it and asked for, I think, something like $40,000 or something. And eventually they got it back, but they had to pay. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and it made me think, my God, how incredibly complicated. Because 
you know, I've seen Paul McCartney touring with the very bass guitar, and there's absolutely no doubt about it. It still has the little set list written at the top, the very violin Hofner bass that he used to play in the Beatles. Yeah. So presumably, if you want to go out on the road now, you must have a massive security around these instruments to make sure that people aren't just... Do you think anybody's going to take similar interest in our ukuleles? <laughs> <laughs> you got a call. you got to wait till our, uh, our, our album of duets is out there, which is going to make our, <laughs> or you'll, or you'll, our fortunes. You'll never see your ukulele. You'll never see that ukulele. <laughs> you got anything you learned this week, Kate? I was just thinking about the similar thing with the instruments. Um, my, my amusing moment this week, I was talking to Yusuf Islam, Cat Stevens, and he was talking about how he'd um, got rid of all his guitars when he became, you know, his new self. Um, 25 guitars he sold. Um, and, and then he started telling this story about how his black Les Paul had um, gone from him and then come back. And he's very kind of, you know, spacey, the way he talks and stuff. So you're thinking, well, what do you mean it came back? And he goes, yes, it came back to me. And then, and then it went again. And somebody else said, well, you mean it was stolen? And he goes, uh, yes, yes, it was stolen from me. But now it's in Bristol. My black Les Paul is in Bristol. And we're just sitting there thinking, well, we don't quite understand what this means anyway. But <laughs> somebody goes... So your Les Paul is in Bristol now? And he goes, yes, I, I heard that it is. And she said, uh, how do you know it's yours? And he went, good point. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very circular conversation. It was very strange, that's where it was. Life must move very slowly in the, in the, in the, in the Islam yeah, household. Yeah, there was a kind of a glint in his eyes. Ah, so good point. Would you like some cornflakes? <laughs> anyway, you would take three goals an hour to get the answer out of yeah. What the thing I learned this week. Are they my cornflakes? Who needs cornflakes? The thing I learned this week. Uh, in the early days of electricity, before it was adopted to any useful purpose, it was it was um, it was just a, it was a rich man's play thing. You know, people used to play with this thing that they called electric fire. You know, and one of the people who used to play with it was Louis the Fifteenth, and uh, and he lined up at one point 150 of his guardsmen. Oh no! Oh, yeah. Got them to oh, hold. Oh, Got no. them to hold some kind of wire between them. Crocodile clip. Yeah. He got them to put a charge through it to see if he could get them to stand to attention. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, the ones that weren't dead probably were. Oh dear, that's what they did. Well, In you made days. your own entertainment. <laughs> now we just watch DVDs of the, the wire over and over again. Then you would electrify your own guardsmen. <laughs> And Razor, is there anything to say? Is there anything to say from the website point of view or anything like that? Nothing huh? to add? Nothing to add. Word magazine's out on Thursday. Word, Word magazine's out. What's the date on Thursday? Fourteenth. Uh, yeah. No, I'm lying. It's the Well it's out on Thursday. Twelfth. Hurry, yeah. hurry, hurry. <laughs> or even go slowly, we don't mind. No. It's a book go. That's the main thing. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.